When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I, I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. Oh, that's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working undercover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually my drink was give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam! I give her a hundred dollars. If you're with the mob, I say, hey Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. We got a big show coming up. It was the big, big meeting that everybody's been waiting for between Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden. We have a readout on how it went. And uh, well, let's just say it was no day in the park, at least for Joe Biden. Plus, we're going to talk about the border. I mean, you want to talk about security issues. Cybersecurity is one coming out of Russia. And then the other issue it, right here at home happens to be what's going on at our border. We have new details as Donald Trump announces he's heading down there. And also, did anyone see the Fed's latest read on inflation? It, they actually care? I'm Trish Regan. I'm in for Jesse Kelly. And I can't wait to see you coming up. On I'm right. That cyber hit for $5 million, that ransomware hit in the United States. I looked at him and I said, well, how would you feel? 
if ransomware took on the pipelines from your oil fields? He said it would matter. This is not about just our self-interest. It's about a mutual self-interest. I'll take your questions, and as usual, folks, they gave me a list of the people I'm going to call on. So, uh, Jonathan, Associated Press. <laughs> of course, there's always a list, right, of the people that you're supposed to call on. Was that a threat, I wonder, from President Biden to Vladimir Putin when he said, how would you feel? Was that a reminder that, you know what, we can play this game too? Hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to I'm Right. I am Trish Regan. I'm in for Jesse Kelly. And it's a big deal summit. Putin and our president, Biden, finally sitting down together to talk through some of the issues, namely on our side, the cyber attacks. I mean, when you think of what's been going on recently with solar winds, with Colonial Pipeline, with JBS, you know, they're hitting us where it counts, with energy, with food, with the vital things that Americans need, JBS being the largest meat supplier to the U.S., Colonial Pipeline, transporting most of the energy up and down the East Coast. And so Putin has made it very clear by harboring these people, these computer experts that can engage in this kind of hacking and this kind of attacks, by harboring them, by allowing them to exist in his neck of the woods, he's effectively giving them that wink, wink, that nod, nod, allowing them to do these attacks, engage in these attacks on American companies. He's trying to make his voice heard, right? Let's face it. I mean, it's not that important a country in the overall scheme of things compared to, compared to us, or even compared to China for that matter. You're talking about an economy that's worth $1.8 trillion compared to the US is 22 trillion. So just to keep that all in perspective, no, they don't really matter on the worldwide front, but they can sure cause a lot of pain, now can't they? If they shut down our energy industry, if they shut down our meat, our food industry. And so for that reason, it is critical that Joe Biden, yes, confront him head on, and if need be, let him know that two can play that game and that we can do just as much damage. And let it be known that we're not okay with this, that this is not going to fly. And if we continue to see more of these cyber attacks, then there will be H-E-L-L for Russia to pay. But when you think about our security vulnerabilities right now, you can't just look at Russia which of course is a big deal right now, given what's going on in Geneva. But I'll tell you what else is a very big deal. And that's the border with Mexico. And increasingly, we have seen an administration that is trying, deliberately trying to ignore this issue. Consider the fact that Kamala Harris hasn't even bothered to go, nor has Joe Biden. But Kamala Harris, who's allegedly in charge of this whole thing, she'll go to Guatemala, but she won't go to the border itself. And that's a problem, <laughs> a problem that, well, Donald Trump is willing to uh, highlight and showcase and take a little advantage of. In fact, he just announced he's heading down to the Texas border himself. He was invited, he said, by none other than Governor Abbott, the governor of Texas. And he issued a statement I'll share with you. He said, I have accepted the invitation of Texas Governor Greg Abbott to join him on an official visit to our nation's decimated southern border on Wednesday, June 30th, 2021. The Biden administration inherited from me the strongest, safest, and most secure border in U.S. history, and in mere weeks, they turned it into the single worst border crisis in U.S. history. It's an unmitigated disaster zone. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty unthinkable when you consider that they were handed a situation that was under control. And all it took was a few words. All it took was the promise of us saying, you know what, we're not going to turn anyone away. We're not going to turn any child away. And within, within days, you had people flooding the border, now up to the highest level we've ever seen in the history of this country, with 180,000-plus border encounters happening last month alone. And that was an increase, a small one, albeit, over the month of April, but also up over 600% from this time last year. It's clear we do have a problem. 
and somebody's going to have to do something about it. Gosh, the people of Texas, they want to do something about it. And the governor is right there with them. Listen to how he, Governor Abbott, wants to build his own wall. Defense uh, is only a temporary solution. The real solution uh, that President Trump began to put in place that Texas is going to continue. And that is later on this week, I will be announcing what the Texas plan is for building a border wall. We will continue that process of building the border wall in addition to these other strategies that we will use to make sure that anybody coming here will understand Texas is the wrong state to come into. <laughs> Don't mess with Texas, as they say, right? Well, Texans are taking it into their own hands. Governor Abbott is taking it into his own hands with the people. And now President Trump is going down there for a big photo op, effectively shaming Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris, think about that. How could you be in charge of such a big project and not even go and see the tragedy that is unfolding before our eyes right now? And how could you go and tell Lester Holt, it's no big deal. You haven't been a lot of places. You haven't been to Europe. Well, maybe that was a dig at her not getting to go to the big summit and sit down with Putin herself. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's not what you say when you have been charged with such a massive, difficult task as trying to contain the border situation. And you know what? Even CNN reporters know that. I want you to take a look at this montage next. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, mean, I don't I don't understand the point that you're making. I've said I'm going to go to the border. And I, when are you going to the border, the Vice President? The administration has asked. I'm not finished. <laughs> I've said I'm going to the border. It's just a little cringeworthy. And um, I, and I know that her allies in the White House and elsewhere are watching it and just kind of wondering what is going on. How poorly did this go for her, her first foray onto the world stage. Well, it certainly didn't go the way the White House wanted it to go. <laughs> I'd say, you know what, that was just a total, utter train wreck. But here's the thing. It kind of exposes and showcases her lack of maturity, if you would, her lack of seasoning on the political and the media front. I mean, if this is your job, right, to get the border situation under control, I realize she didn't want it. I mean, who the heck would want that, right, if you're a Democrat right now with future aspirations? But it is her job. I mean, granted, she could not, let's be very clear, she could not have gotten elected to that office herself. Just look at her miserable numbers in the New Hampshire primary where she got maybe 100 votes at best, and she had to drop out. So she did not get that position because she was elected to it or even because she had had much of a showing in any of the primary states. No, she got that position because she certainly checked a whole lot of boxes. I get it. Well, that's fine to check the boxes, but sometimes you got to actually do the work. And in this case, it's a serious amount of work getting the border situation under control, which makes me wonder. You know, I wonder if Joe Biden at all had uh, any sense, but I think he did know what he was doing. I think that Joe Biden actually deliberately gave her this assignment because he knew that it was a tough one and he wanted her to have a tough one. You know why? <laughs> the guy's got a memory and he's not gonna forget this. But I also believe, and it's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. I'll tell you, it was awful. I mean, it was just a total train wreck. And he couldn't defend himself at all against this. And you know what? He hasn't forgotten it, nor has his wife, for that matter, who brought it up, according to a New York Post story, the following day in a call with donors. And she spoke about Kamala Harris in not, shall we say, the most positive way. There may have been some obscenities involved. Anyway, nobody's forgotten. 
right? Joe Biden hasn't forgotten. Jill Biden, Jill Biden hasn't forgotten. And so when it comes to giving Kamala an assignment, Joe Biden gave her a pretty tough assignment. And so she's trying to ignore it, like to pretend it doesn't exist. She thinks if she just doesn't go to the border, well, people will stop asking, the media will forget. It's not that easy because you know what? This is a crisis. So again, we are facing our share of crises, whether it be cyber hacking from Russia, whether it be our own border right at home, it is high time that we do something about it. Great to have you here tonight. We have a big, big show coming up. We've got the editor of the Foreign Desk joining us to talk all about the big summit as well as what the heck is going on now with Israel and Hamas. I'm on it. See you here next. Here, Mr. President. I said, what I said was, let's get it straight. I said, what will change their behavior is that the rest of the world reacts to them and it diminishes their standing in the world. I'm not confident of anything. I'm just stating the fact. But given his past behavior has not changed, and in that press conference, after sitting down with you for several hours, he denied any involvement in cyber attacks, he downplayed human rights abuses, he even refused to say Alexei Navalny's name. So how does that account to a constructive meeting as a president, President Putin? President? If you don't understand that, you're in the wrong business. Is there someone with China? Who will we need to love? Who will we need to love quickly? Let's go. <laughs> Somebody's uh, having a little bit of a tough day. First, he had to deal with Vladimir Putin. Now he has to deal with the American media. I'll tell you. You notice that was a very interesting reaction. He was getting a little testy. He was getting a little bit annoyed. I get it. The end of the long day, right? And the reporter asks you some really obvious question, like how the heck can you really be confident that Vladimir Putin is going to fall through on his end of the bargain? And you don't like the question and you get a little bit annoyed. That's what we saw, a flash of anger in Joe Biden. And can you just imagine, can you imagine had the tables been turned and that was Donald Trump? I have a feeling, just a little hunch, that people aren't going to get that upset about this one. But you know, Joe Biden has a history of doing this. You can go back all the way to the 1980s when he was running for president in New Hampshire and he took on a voter there, accused him of not being as smart as he was. Look, Joe Biden, um, you know, he has his good days and his bad ones. Clearly today, at least by the end of it, things weren't going so well. Joining me right now for more reaction to the Putin-Biden meeting as well as a sense of what's going on right now in Israel, we have none other than Lisa Dafari. Deftari, she is the uh, editor-in-chief of the Foreign Desk. Lisa, welcome. Great to see you. Uh, your reaction, not just to how we acted with the media, <laughs> but but overall to what we saw today. You know, what was really interesting um, from the clip that you guys just played is that this is a press pool trained uh, under the uh, Trump presidency, and now it's coming back to bite the Biden uh, presidency because they are not going to take the uh, talking points, the flashcard points at face value. They are talking back to the president. They're pushing, they're pressing. They want real answers. You know, um, we saw a president uh, who was extremely um, diplomatic, right? He came there and he said, oh, rest assured, uh, we, we spoke about all the important topics. I served up all the proverbial slaps on the wrist. I told him about the cyber attacks. I told him there will be consequences. I laid down the law and he understands that his place will not be good in the world if he does not listen to the United States, which we all know is not true of Vladimir Putin. We, we all know this. This is the uh, typical reset that every president tries with Vladimir Putin. And of course, uh, President Biden being uh, a president who has many, many years of experience um, in the realm of foreign policy, uh, being quite diplomatic. I think this, this presidency is a little different because the experience that President Biden has is uh, in, at a time where these talking points would go very well and be wonderful. You know, I, I went to a meeting with another world leader and we walked away with uh, great deliverables and did great outcomes and we're on the same page. But in today's world, this is, this is very different. You know, they, people yeah, want to know, well, what actually happened? What's the bottom line? And tell us the truth. Well, look, I, I think the reality is for four years, Lisa, 
reporters sometimes heard a little too much, right, from Donald Trump. He was very forthcoming with the truth, to the point where he even said, I think that this virus was leaked from the lab in Wuhan. And he wasn't supposed to divulge that, right? Because that was a classified- Look where we are now. He, he was very, very forthcoming. So it's got to seem almost boring in a sense when you get the party yeah, line exactly. to go by it. Um, exactly. let, me, let me turn to the cyber attacks because I think that's a pretty big deal. And when I look at Russia, I, I agree with one of the things that Biden said today where he was like, you know, hey, you want Russia's economy? Russia's economy is this little puny thing. It is puny. I mean, it's roughly $1.8 trillion versus our $22 trillion behemoth. So in the scheme of things, right, at least from an economic standpoint, Russia really isn't that important. But Russia can certainly make our lives difficult. And I mm -hmm. think that we seen that by way of the cyber attacks. With that in mind, Lisa, how how do we start to quell that? How do we suppress those right. attacks? Is it a matter of offense for us, defense for us? Do we just need to be that much smarter knowing that they're trying to attack us left, right, and center on the cyber front? Yeah, the, the Russians delivered a very strong message here at home that we have soft targets. Look, the, the, these wars between countries, conflicts, escalations between nations are no longer on the battlefield. They are, they're coming in two forms, and we're involved in both of those forms with the Russians. That's verbally, in which you see Biden and Putin exchanging these attacks. Well, they came to the table and it was you know, a, a little bit of an about face uh, with the verbal attacks, but more importantly, the cyber attacks. And we cannot dismiss this as just a pish-bosh little threat, because you're looking at countries like China, like the Iranian regime, uh, like Russia, like North Korea, investing so much more money into their cyber military than they are into their actual military. So this sends us a message here. We have soft targets. They know that they can hit us in any one of these important infrastructures, whether it's Wall Street, whether it's our hospitals, whether it's our um, you know, security grid, uh, whether it's you know, important industries like the, the, the meat uh, company JBS that we saw last week or the pipeline that we saw a couple weeks earlier. These are important, obviously, infrastructures and they're soft targets. So we have to firm up these targets. And that's the message here. Look, we're not going to go out and, and start an, an, an anonymous or a Russian ransomware uh, type of, of offense. Uh, what, what we can do is listen to the message that's being delivered here is that that's where they're going to focus their energies. They don't need a huge army to do that. They don't need a weapons arsenal to do that. They just need the will and that we just have to give them the vulnerability, which we are doing so right now. So it's, it's a loud and clear message. For sure, for sure. Um, let me turn to what's going on in the Middle East right now, because I, I kind of thought we had we had reached a point where things had sort of settled down, and now last night we see that you know there's rockets flying again and attacks happening. What's going on? You know, um, this we knew that this was going to happen. It's happened in the past, where where Hamas or whoever is leading the Palestinians in the in the position of leadership uh, enters into a ceasefire with Israel, but obviously break that ceasefire. We saw this ceasefire actually broken uh, days after the ceasefire was reached with attacks on the border. There was two uh, stabbing attacks that were. But this is look another day in the life of people living in Israel. The IDF knows this. They have to go back to protecting their border protecting their people inside the country and outside. Uh, so this is nothing new for them. But in this case, we saw that these are fire balloons. These are not birthday balloons. This is not something to laugh at. These are actual weapons. These are actual uh, incendiary fires, bombs that are attached to balloons and then delivered, tossed into uh, Israeli territory, in this case, in the south, close to uh, Gaza. Uh, it continued, it continued, it continued. Trish, you didn't hear about it in the media, and now you do. Why? Because Israel has decided to retaliate. So the headlines from the New York Times and the Washington Post and elsewhere read that Israel is once again bombarding Gaza uh, under a new leadership. So they blame it on the fact that Israel has a new prime minister this week, and that's why because he is so super aggressive that he decided to, out of the blue, attack Gaza. But they don't tell no, you what led up to this. It's really amazing. And it's pretty profound and very disturbing when you go and you do read those headlines um, because they're so biased in the way that they're presented. Nobody talks about what Hamas actually start, you know, did to start it. It's always what Israel is doing. Do you think Hamas did this in part because there was that change in leadership and they wanted to kind of send some sort of signal in their own way, shape or form? Sure. 
yeah, you know, Hamas takes advantage of of the mainstream media. They take advantage of the uh, propaganda campaign that they have set out and have been successful in, in launching. And they, they said, look, let's just test what's going on right here. They'll react and the world will understand that this is because of the new prime minister. But the other point to make here is that Hamas has nothing to lose. So timing or logistics or strategy, you can put that off to the side and say this is a terror organization that's launching weapons uh, and and all sorts of rockets into Israel without any fear of consequence because they have the world opinion on their side. And again, look, the media wanted to, to present Israel as the aggressor, so they waited until Israel became aggressive and they began retaliating. And that's where you start seeing the headlines. And, you know, they have they have won the PR campaign. That's what they sought out to do. They have, you know, they're, they're a terror organization that's getting the pity of the world behind them. And, uh, you know, you go on Twitter, you and go on lawmakers, Lisa. I mean, you, you I, think about the squad and, and how, how much on the side of Hamas and the Palestinians they have been. And so, uh, you know, increasingly I look at the Democrat Party and it feels dare I say, pretty anti-Semitic. I mean, some of the language sure. that's effectively sanctioned by the likes of Rashida Tlaib or Ilhan Omar is quite troubling. Right, when she basically juxtaposes, you know, Hamas and the United States, a terror organization in the United States or Israel, our, our democratic ally in the region, it is quite disturbing. It's disturbing that these women have, uh, you know, their representatives and they have elected positions and that they are able to use those platforms to spew hate without any retribution. You saw Nancy Pelosi, you know, kind of try to stand up to her, but then back down again and said, you know what, her explanation is good enough. It's not good enough when she's going to go back to, you know, spewing more hatred. This was not just a one-off. This is something that she's been doing. This is Ilhan Omar uh, all the time while in office using her Twitter platform and other, um, you know, uh, other opportunities to just slam the United States, slam Israel and, uh, you know, use this position for, for her hatred. Uh, the other uh, friend that these terror organizations have, you know, is the, the is big tech. Uh, you know, yesterday there was an attack here in Los Angeles where a, a an obviously religious Jewish boy was just punched in the face by a random uh, man walking by. Um, and this was documented on you know, cell phones and put on social media. And people put this on Instagram and it was flagged and taken down. It was taken down because it's showing an anti-Semitic attack. How can we get the word out about this type of hatred? How can we correct the narrative about what's going on in Israel or on the streets of New York or Los Angeles when big yeah. tech is standing in the way oh, and taking the sure. side? I mean, that's a whole other can of worms and, and a whole other story. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Thank you so much. Lisa, it's really good to see you. Thank you so much for all your insights. My pleasure. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Okay. Coming up, everyone, we got to talk border. We got to talk border because when you think about the threats that are out there, 180,000 people were encountered by our CHP in the last month. This is the most on record. So what are we doing about that? We're on it. See you here after this. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. Uh, these stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right, it's unjust, and Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out, or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE, or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer, they will help you out. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You, you want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps, and then they carry 
with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a thousand at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. NWRetention.com. That's NWRetention.com. Use the promo code JESSE. Get you 10% off. Welcome back. You heard me talking earlier, earlier about the border crisis that we're now facing, how it really is a crisis, despite the fact that everyone in the White House is refusing to call it such a thing. The border encounters have increased 670 plus percent since last year. We're now looking at an all-time high, upwards of 180,000 people that have been apprehended by CHP. And now Donald Trump is heading straight to the border at the invitation of none other than the Texas governor, the Texas governor who's saying, wait a second, if the federal government is not gonna help here, then guess what? We as Texans, we will do our part. We will finance a wall and ensure the safety of our people. Joining me right now, we have Hal Lampert. He's a Texas Republican strategist. I wanna welcome you to the program, Hal, good to see you. Good to see you. So what's this about? I mean, it, is, it, is it all politics or is there uh, some real uh, meat behind this idea as well in terms of securing Texas and the people? Well, I hope it's not all politics. I, I'm glad that Governor Abbott has stepped forward to do this. Uh, I'm glad President Trump is headed to the border as well. Uh, it's gotta be highlighted. And I think what, you know, most of Americans now realize there's a problem, but I don't think they realize the, the depths of it because if we wanna get real specific on kind of you know, what's happening, when you have tens of thousands of children that are unaccompanied, uh, what do you do with them? You know, what, we, they don't have any parents here, they don't have family here, they're sitting in it, they're housed in a center uh, and there's nowhere to put them. Uh, what does our government do with them? You, you can't even, sh you, can't, you can't send them back by themselves. I mean, it's a real problem. And then you end up with also, uh, uh, we could have a million people come in this year that are indebted to the cartels. So when you have people indebted to the cartels, what happens down the road? They come in, they don't have skills, they don't speak the language, they're not able to function in the 21st century America. Uh, how do they pay the cartels back? I think we're gonna have serious crime problems in the future because they're pay having to pay the cartels back money or they're gonna have family members back home killed. So th this is a real catastrophe and, and we're just seeing the very beginning of it. I mean, this is the very beginning of this problem. The longer term effects are gonna be massive. So, you know, one of the things that came up when Trump was highly criticized for some of his policy was that there was this separation of families at the border. I remember saying very carefully at the time, because you have to be very careful with this uh, so that it's not misinterpreted. But, you know, I, I'm going back to sort of my foundation in economics and the law of unintended consequences. My concern, Hal, at the time was if we were to say, hey, come one, come all, we're not going to separate families as they have now done, then you risked families sending their children en route to the U.S. of A with, you know, in many cases, people that they may not know that well, people that have been hired um, to maybe pose as family, who knows, but it basically incentivized the wrong behavior, right? If you don't want people to come here, then shouldn't you be telegraphing a little bit of a harder stance, as tough as that sounds? I mean, you, you wanna be a realist here and you don't wanna encourage people to do things that by the way, might put themselves or their children in harm's way in the process. That's for sure exactly right. I think, uh, you know, when you put that out like that, it incentivizes the wrong behavior. And, and you know, there are reports that up to 80% of the women and, and girls are sexually assaulted on the way here. I mean, what a horrific experience uh, for someone to have to endure on their way here. Then they come to the United States. You have to have serious emotional problems after that. Uh, so that then they're here with that. And as you said, you know, we don't know if people are actually related. A, a, a man and a, and a 13 year old girl come across the border. He says he's her father. She says he's her father. We have no way to know that. We can't just let them continue on through the United States. We don't know if the girl's being trafficked. 
So you have to separate them and figure out who they are. You can't have the 13 year old girl in with adults. You can't have the adult in with the children. So of course yeah, they have to be separated. To say we're not going to separate. Right. To say we're not going to look, I mean, the, the the left, you've got this chorus of people saying this is so inhumane, you know, we should we should take everyone. And, and the reality is, unless you're going to like swoop in and take over all of Latin America, I just don't think it's ever going to fly. So you're going to constantly have this problem unless you say, OK, we're going to be like every other country in the world, by the way, every other country. Believe me, you're not you're not getting in to Switzerland. You're not getting in and, and you know establishing residency in Australia. I mean, they, they've got a, a whole different system, but but nobody's accusing them of being inhumane. So I, I just look at it and say, you've got to do what you need to do, do you not, Hal, to protect the people that you have in this country at present. You mentioned Switzerland. You can't do that in Mexico. We can't go to Mexico and just say we're going to live there and establish residence. They don't. They don't let you do do that. Uh, so you know, for us to say that Mexico can do that to us or any of the Latin American countries, who, by the way, you can't do that in their country either. So you're exactly right. No other country operates this way. Not the Latin American countries. And by the way, I think a lot of the Latin American countries they don't really like it. But they're forced to allow it to happen because so much money is sent back to their countries. That's the only way they're even staying in power is because money's flowing back to Guatemala and Honduras uh, and Nic Nicaragua because that's the only way those countries have any money is because people here are working and sending it back. So it's not even necessarily helping the U.S. economy. Um, so what, it, what should happen next? I mean, do, do you anticipate that Kamala... I was saying earlier, she's kind of in a no-win situation, right? And that might be, if I'm Joe Biden and I'm getting a little annoyed at everybody calling her President Harris, including myself, that might be by design. He gave her a pretty tough assignment. Um, and her party's not going to like her if she does what is needed in this instance. So where do you see this going? Is it just more sort of swimming upstream and these numbers keep escalating and she keeps doing nothing? I'm afraid that's what I think is going to happen. I, I, they know what's going on at the border. They don't have any desire to solve it. I think they've calculated, look, we can let in several million people over the next year and uh, and try to change the voting outcome in the future. I mean, I think that's bringing more. I mean, if there's a million people here and then you look up and they say, well, you can bring your relatives, all of a sudden it can become 10 million very quickly. So I, I think that's the calculus. They don't really care. They're going to say, look, we'll support them with government money. Uh, if they can't have, if they don't have jobs, and uh, and that's the calculus. I, I don't see them changing it. The far left want to change the demographics of the United States, and this is the way they want to do it. Yes. All right. Um, we shall see. I have a feeling that a, a lot of Americans will unite against this because it's just not going to sit well uh, to get back to politics, politically speaking. Hal, very good to have you here. Hal Lampert, Texan, Republican strategist. Good to see you. Thank you so much. Good to see you. Thank you. Okay, coming up, we're going to talk about the Fed. We're going to talk about inflation. Can you believe this? The Fed is actually finally worried about it. Pretty remarkable, given what they've said as of late. I'm on it. Next. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells, too. I'm not, I'm not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint and your carpet, maybe they're animal smells, maybe you're a smoker or someone else was, just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever, ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours, I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one. Get two. Be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE. That gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. Promo code JESSE. Oh my goodness. I mean, am I hearing things? Am I seeing things? The Federal Reserve actually is starting to care about inflation? 
Finally, wow, unbelievable news out of the Federal Reserve today. Jerome Powell actually said, he's the head, uh, head guy there at the Fed, he actually said that they may decide to raise interest rates earlier than they thought in 2023 instead of 2024. I mean, this is big news, right? Because the Federal Reserve all along has been so reticent. They've been so nervous. Well, now they're finally admitting in the statement, they admitted that in fact, because there had been quote, progress on vaccinations and that that had reduced the spread of COVID-19 in the US amid this progress and strong policy report, indicators of economic activity and employment have strengthened. Yeah, you think? I mean, the economy's been on fire as we've gotten back to work, as people have resumed their lives. By the way, they're flush with cash, right? Thanks to Uncle Joe and company and all those stimulus checks, multiple rounds, in part thanks to Trump as well. So people have all this money, they've got all this pent up demand, they're out there spending. And so of course you're gonna get inflation. I mean, we've seen a ton of it. 6.6% was the increase in producer prices in the last given month. 5% in consumer prices. I mean, and we don't even want to talk energy prices, which have been skyrocketing. Joining me right now for an outlook on all this and how you should think about it in these inflationary times, we have Joel Griffith from the Heritage Foundation. Joel, very good to see you. You as well. Thank you for having me today. Did did you think you were hearing things? Jerome Powell actually acknowledging (laughs) inflation? I, I was surprised to hear him acknowledge that what the big rise in prices that we've seen might indeed not be transitory. And we're not imagining things. If you look at what's happened over the past year, yes, your grocery bills have become substantially more expensive. And it's not just that. If you're buying pants, if you're buying a dress, if you're buying jewelry, those are all double digit price increases over the past year. And if you're going to fill up your car, Well, that costs you about 50% more in just the past year. So this is a problem. I am glad that people are actually starting to pay attention to that because if our government and if the Federal Reserve, if they do not change the course that they are on, this could be something that we will have to be dealing with far into the future. Well, and that's partly my concern. I mean, it's it's fine that they're moving away from 2024. I was concerned that they might be reluctant to even telegraph that, right? Because then you run the risk of the little temper tantrum or the, the taper tantrum as it's uh, come to be known on Wall Street. Um, and, and we did in fact see that. We'll see how uh, it all shakes out over the next couple of days. But there was an initial reaction with investors getting pretty freaked out that the Fed was actually willing to admit these things. I mean, I look at it the other way, right? Because Joel, if they don't recognize the threat of inflation now, what happens in the future? Larry Summers, I think, said it well, when you run the risk of the Fed overreacting to inflation and then having a very negative, perhaps a stagflation-like effect on the economy because you don't get enough growth in the overall uh, bottom line. I I, I mean, I I can't even believe they're going to wait to 2023 when I look at prices. Well, you know, usually people don't connect the dots, and that's because we become so used to prices increasing by 1% or 2% every year. But over the past year, most Americans received several thousand dollars in stimulus checks, and we're very happy with that. But now people are starting to realize that $2,000 in your checking account you might like. But if you're a two-couple family making $100,000 per year, and your price of living, your cost of living just increased by 5 or 6%, well, that's a $6,000 increase in your cost of living and you only got $2,000 in stimulus checks. That's not such a great deal. And that's what we have to remember long-term. Prosperity does not come from running the printing press and spending more. In fact, that causes diminished growth. Prosperity results in actually allowing people to invest and save and make business opportunities because that's something we can all share in. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's kind of basic. But unfortunately, these are ideas that are being highly debated and contested right now. Uh, I'm going to get political, go from economic to political, which has sort of, you know, in in so many ways become the, the same thing, which is sad because I'd like to just say, look, we all want growth, right? We all want growth. And it's a pretty easy enough way to get it. If you lower taxes, you lessen regulation, you get out of the way and you let Americans do what they know how to do best. But in this environment, we've got a a contingency of people there on the left, which are becoming increasingly mainstream, that believe socialism 
and high taxation and redistribution of wealth is actually the way to ensure growth and success in this country. If you couple higher taxes with inflation, what will that do to the average American? Yeah, well, you and I and most Americans, we want economic growth and opportunity. But those on the left and the politicians that are pushing forth that agenda, they're not looking for growth. What they're looking for is power and a leveling of society. Margaret Thatcher said it best years ago. She said they would rather the poor be poorer so long as the rich were less rich. The goal of the left is more centralized control, more power. And when you have these politicians promising goodies to Americans, promising more free services, you have to pay for it. And you can't pay for it just by taxing the rich. There's just not enough money that the rich have. You have to do it through tax likes in the middle class. You know, France, for instance, has a 50% plus payroll tax, or you do it through printing more money, which ultimately will result in your paycheck being worth less. There is no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> I know. I, you know, but tell that to AOC and Joe Biden, for that matter. Um, that said, we do have some adults in the room, right? Courtesy of Joe Manchin. Uh, he's, he's numero uno these days. And it, it doesn't look like a lot of this policy, which strikes me as pretty far-fetched. I mean, when you're talking about elderly care and child care, as infrastructure, you've really kind of lost your uh, your vocabulary in some ways. It, but I don't know as any of it's going to happen. What's, what's your take on it? Because I do think that ultimately, even the Democrats know this will cost us and we don't have it. Well, the thing is, over the past year, we've seen such an explosion in federal spending. Uh, we're nearing $10 trillion in, what, in just over a year. We've lost grasp of what these numbers mean, and we're starting to see it now with price hikes, but we've lost grasp of that. And so because the proposals on the left are so large and we're gobbled up so much to the economy, now big spending proposals, such as the so-called bipartisan compromise in infrastructure, that appears reasonable, even though that is really blowing our budget as well. And I think that's been one of the intents of this. The left, they knew they weren't going to get all they were asking for. And now the compromise is still bigger government than we have ever seen in our lifetimes. Hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> the, the smaller government notion uh, has become less popular these days by some in charge. It's really good to see you. Joel, thank you so much for all your perspective. And I think we should take heart that the Fed is finally acknowledging that inflation that we've all been feeling. Okay, coming up, everyone, we've got a little bit of lighthearted uh, video to show you. Uh, it, it turns out that um, John Stewart made some really good jokes. I mean, he actually did. I want to play him for you after this. <laughs> Welcome back. This clip is just awesome. It's totally awesome. And I wanted you to see it because you deserve a little laugh now and then, right? Let's roll the tape. I think we owe a great debt of gratitude to science. Science has in many ways helped ease uh, the suffering of this pandemic, uh, which was more than likely caused by science. What do you mean by that? Do you mean like well, this so perhaps was, this, there was a chance that this was created in a lab? There's an investigation. A chance? Well, but I, so, I, 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 oh my if God. there's evidence, I'd love to hear it. There's I don't a know. novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? The Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease is the same name as the lab. <laughs> That's just, that's just a little too weird, don't you think? And then they ask those scientists, they're like, how did this... So wait a minute, you work at the Wuhan Respiratory Coronavirus Lab. How did this happen? And they're like, mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle. Mm. Wait, okay. wait a second, wait a what second. What about this? What about wait this? Wait a second. Listen to this. Wait a second. All right. John. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's been an outbreak of chocolatey goodness near Hershey, Pennsylvania. What do you think happened? Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe a steam shovel made it with a cocoa bean. Or it's the chocolate factory. Maybe that's it. 
<laughs> you know what though? If that had been playing a year ago, it would have been banned, right? They would have pulled the clip. Nobody would have seen it because you weren't allowed to talk about this. In fact, I do recall when Donald Trump told the world that he had seen some evidence that it had been created in a lab. Well, the world went nuts, right? And before you knew it, um, it, it, there there were big magazine articles quoting Fauci saying, no, you know, it, it came from a, a wet market. It was naturally occurring. <laughs> anyway, that that is just priceless. And you know what? I'm going to say, thank goodness we can actually talk about it now. What's what's more disturbing is that there's things that we still can't talk about, right? That, that we're not allowed to discuss because big tech, big media has decided it's off limits. And that's pretty disturbing. Anyway, I still talk about it. I know Jesse still talks about it. And I'm going to continue talking about it on my podcast. I hope you turn in to the Trish Regan show. We're there every single day. And you can find more of me on trishintel.com. Jesse's going to be back with you soon. And thank you so much for tuning, every, tuning in, everyone. Have a terrific night. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.